Well, good morning, church. So glad that you are with us this morning. My name is DJ. I'm the associate minister here at the summit. And like Brian said, we are continuing in our fruition series that we're getting close to the end to. We spent the last six weeks in one verse, and today we go to a new verse. I know, it's extremely exciting. Uh, but we're looking closely at uh, these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lays out for us here in Galatians chapter 5. Let me read it for us real quick. It says this in verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's pray. Awesome God. What we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. What we have not, give us. Amen. So earlier this summer, I was uh, on sabbatical. It was an awesome experience. This is my first time back preaching since I uh, have gotten back. And so I hope that you packed a lunch um, <laughs> Because we may be here for a minute today. Um, but I'm extremely excited uh, for this topic of gentleness today. But I was talking to a friend uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about this, and they asked me, hey, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on gentleness. And they laughed. <laughs> and they looked at me, and they said, you're doing gentleness? That's going to be pretty short, right? <laughs> So there's that. So this has been a little bit convicting as I've been diving into uh, this, but I am excited for this message this morning. I want to ask you this question as we get started in our time this morning. How important is it for you? How important is it for you that your plan for growth and God's plan for your growth agree? Think about that for just a second. Let me say it another way. Suppose, not suppose, God does have an agenda for your life. He has a plan for your life. He has something that he wants to do within you to create you into this perfect picture that he has planned for you. And so he's been developing these traits, these characteristics, these skills, these lessons in your life. And the question really is, how much do you desire in your heart that God continues that work? How much do you desire to come to a place in your life where you agree that the person that God wants to shape you into, the image that God wants to pour out through you, how much do you desire for him to work to do that. Because it's hard, right? The lessons that we're taught, the struggles that we have, the world that we live in is hard. But hopefully in our hearts we know that God's plan for growth in us is the right plan. Even though we may not have explicitly asked that question in this series, ultimately that kind of becomes the main question in front of us, right? I mean, you can't look at the fruit of the Spirit and come away saying, oh yeah, that's nice, that's good. Ultimately, the goal is to come to a place where you say, God, I desire that. 
I desire for you to work within me to confront my struggles, to push me out of my comfort zone, to create in me the image of your spirit, the image of love, of joy, of peace. And so you may be asking yourself, well, of of course I desire that. Why are you asking me that question? Well, it's because we've reached to the point of gentleness. I posed this question uh, earlier on some of our, our social media stuff, and I've been thinking about this question, but, but let me ask you, how much do you desire to be gentle? How much do you desire to be gentle? Because one of the challenges for this right off the bat for us this morning is to wrestle with that question of, is being gentle a good thing for us in our life? Is being gentle something I could be, should be, is good for me to be in my workplace, in my business, in my family? And so I want to wrestle through that this morning in, in three ways. First, I want to talk about the problem of gentleness Then I want to talk about the pattern of gentleness. And then finally, I want to conclude this morning talking about the persona of gentleness. So the problem, the pattern, and the persona. My wife, Diana, she's been trying to get me to go on a cruise for years. Um, Which, saying that out loud, kind of seems silly, right? Like, you, you have to convince somebody to eat vegetables. You have to convince somebody, right? Like, convincing somebody to go on a, a cruise... Right? Shouldn't be that hard. But she's been trying to get me to go on a cruise for years. She was going on a cruise to the Bahamas several years ago. We had been married for uh, just a year or two. And she was like, hey, do you want to go? And I said, hey, no, I don't. Uh-uh. So she took her sister. Like, I literally said, I don't want to go on this Caribbean, Bahama, whatever type of cruise that you're doing. Go have fun, right? So years go by. And she asked this question, let's go on a cruise, let's go on a cruise. So we're going on sabbatical, we're planning for sabbatical, and she knew that the thing at the top of my bucket list was I wanted to go to Alaska. And she said, we will go to Alaska via a boat. (laughs) And I said, because at that point, right, when she was trying to convince me early on, we had no kids, now we had four kids, and I'm like, you can take me any way you want. Let's go, right? But it sounds silly, but for the longest time, I was afraid of cruises. I've seen all the movies, right? All the ones that are coming to your mind. I've seen Titanic. (laughs) I've seen Poseidon. I've seen Life of Pi, right? All of these don't end well. Don't want any part of it. And then, so we decided to go on this cruise. And I'm curious if any of you are like me in this. But so we decided to go on this cruise. We pay for it, so it's like there's no going back. And so I was like, all right. I'm going to watch a documentary. I know. I know. And so I watched a documentary of a cruise ship called The Diamond Princess. And maybe that's not familiar to you, but The Diamond Princess was the cruise ship that got quarantined for almost 35 days off the coast of Japan. So I decided, yeah, that'll calm my nerves. So I'm watching this documentary, 
It's talking about just all the horribleness of, that these people were going through. It's crazy. And then it comes time for us to go on this trip. So we get up, we go to the airport, we go from the airport, we fly from here, we fly to Vancouver, where we're going to get on the, on the ship. We get to our hotel. From the hotel, I can see the ship, and I'm like, that is where I die. <laughs> and literally, I'm so, I'm in one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed at in my life. They had an espresso machine in the room. I don't know if you know, if you drink coffee, you know what that is. It's like super fancy coffee, right? In the room. And I'm like, oh, man. But the whole time, I'm just looking at that ship. I'm like, man, get me out of here. And so the next day, we go to board, and we board. And if you've ever been on a cruise, you go through the boarding process, and it's kind of weird because it's like herds of cattle just like funneling through. About 100 people ask you for your passport 100 different times, and I'm not really sure why. It seems like we can streamline that process. And then we go through the checkout, we're waiting in this big open warehouse, and I'm like fidgeting. Everybody else is excited, and I'm like, you guys have no idea. Like, this is it. And so they call our group, and we're walking down, you know, the, the rampway, and we get to the ship, and I walk inside the ship, and I stop. And it was the most amazing thing I have ever seen. Because you walk into like the main cabin and you look up and you just see like this amazing chandelier and there's like, you know, fanciness all over the place and all these things that I am just not used to. And then my wife says, hey, you can eat and drink whenever you want. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> you don't even let me do that at home. <laughs> And the best part of that is I paid for this cruise like back in January, so in my mind it was free. <laughs> like, hey, that money's already been taken away. Let's go. <laughs> we fast forward a week later and it comes time. The power did go off on the cruise one day. Like literally, so I wasn't completely, you know, something did happen. I mean, it was only for like five minutes, but in that five minutes I was like, see, I told every single one of you this is where it ends. But we get to the end of the week, and I didn't want to get off. I didn't want to. I had so much fun. Uh, Diane and I were the only people under the age of 60 <laughs> on this cruise. We made so many friends. I learned way more about bingo and craft making than I ever wanted to. But it was incredible. It was awesome. You know what my biggest regret was? That it took me that long. That it took me that long to go on a cruise. And I tell you that story, and it's, you know, it's, it's funny, we can laugh at it, but I, I think that applies to our topic of gentleness today because one of the biggest problems I think that we have when it comes to gentleness is we have no idea what it really is. If you look at these characteristics that Paul lays out here in Galatians chapter 5, I think gentleness for me is probably the most misinterpreted characteristic in this whole list. It's the one that I think for many of us we would say, I don't know about that one. Love, yes. Patience, yes. Self-control, sure. 
But I think we, church, have a very poor misunderstanding of what it means to be gentle. I'm going to take it one step further. I think for some of us in here, we're even at the point where we equate gentleness with weakness. To be gentle is to be a pushover. George Bethune, who was a a Dutch Reformed pastor way back in the 1800s, he said it this way. Listen to this. He says, perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, and catch this, catch this sentence here. Look at what he says. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition or external manners than it is a Christian virtue. And then this last part is what really socked me in the gut. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is actually a sin. So not only is it something that we don't often desire, not only is it something that we tend to think is more of a characteristic personality quality of an individual, oftentimes we don't think of not being gentle as being sinful. But if I can give you one passage that shatters this whole theory that gentleness is weakness, it's in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look what Paul says. He says in verse 11 and 12, he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. And what's that last word? Gentleness. What's the first word of, of verse 12? Fight. The good fight. You see it? Paul says, strive for these things, pursue these things, and fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And so biblically, and we could look through several different passages, but biblically, gentleness or meekness, as some translations have it, is not being weak. Rather, it's quite the opposite of that. I read one, uh, one commentator defined it this way. He said, gentleness is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while being free from any desire for revenge or retribution. To say it maybe a little more plainly, here's how I would define gentleness for us this morning. Gentleness is strength under control. Strength under control. Not a lack of strength, but rather the godly exercise of strength. And so what we're seeing in these definitions is that gentleness has a lot to do with how we respond to certain situations. How many of you, even this past week, you've dealt with something, you dealt with somebody, and your first thought was, yeah, you deserve that. You had that one coming. I'll give you one from yesterday. My family, we had a little bit of a rough week. There's a lot of things that happened this week. 
And my oldest daughter, Grayson, decided to cap it all off yesterday by cutting her thumb off. Just a little bit. Sorry, I, I made that sound way worse than it was. <laughs> just like a little nubbin. Just a, just a, yeah. <laughs> A piece of her thumb. Thank you. Thank you. A piece of her thumb. So she comes out to me, and she handles it like a champ. Like, she wasn't even crying or anything, which I'm like, hey, yes, very nice. But she comes to me, and it's like bleeding all over the place. My wife wasn't home. She's the nurse. I'm like, we could glue it. Like, but the first thought in my mind, and I said this out loud. One of the first things I said to her is I said, you were playing with scissors again, weren't you? And she said, yeah. And in my mind, what I wanted to say was, see, I told you. Like that, that is in my heart, my sinful nature. To immediately throw it back onto her and say, see, that's what you get. And so I think the problem that we have here is oftentimes we don't think of gentleness in how we respond to situations, how we respond to people who do wrong or make mistakes or do wrong towards us, or how we respond to God when he works in a way that we don't particularly appreciate and or like. Gentleness is strength under control authority under control, power under control. So let me ask you again the question I've been asking myself. How gentle are you? How gentle would the people around you say that you are? And do you think that the gentleness the Holy Spirit wants to grow in you is desirable? If so, then you have to wrestle with the next area, area of gentleness. What does it look like? What is the pattern of gentleness? I think there's, there's two broad ways that we can look at this. When we talk about the pattern of gentleness, what does it look like in your life? I think there's a God-word focus, and I think there's a man-word focus to this pattern. And to say it very simply, the God-word focus of gentleness is in your submission to God. When we start to desire gentleness, what actually is going to happen within us is that we are going to desire to be more submissive in our relationship with God. It's amazingly fitting, actually, that when you look through Scripture, you see a lot of pictures of gentleness. The Holy Spirit is symbolized as a dove. Jesus symbolized as a lamb. Followers of Jesus, us, are symbolized as sheep, right? Very gentle, non-threatening things. But when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about Jesus, things that have so much power and authority. And I think one of the things that we need to get beyond is knowing that when it comes to being gentle, that it's not just about external action, as much as it is an inward response of our heart. That really it's, it's measured by how teachable we are to the Spirit's wisdom. 
that even though we may want to do things differently, even though our nature is to live differently, we desire for our plan for growth and God's plan for growth to be the same, that when we enter the throne room, we come in submission. We come open-handed. We come in this posture that really does say and desire, thy will be done. R.C. Trench, who was an archbishop, said it this way. He said, gentleness does not consist in a person's outward behavior only, nor yet in his relations to his fellow man. Did you catch that part? I'm going to pause there for a second. Because look at what he says. He says, does not consist in outwards, uh, a person's outward behavior only, nor yet, not at all, but not yet in his relationship to his fellow man. Rather, it is an inwrought grace of the soul and the exercise of it are first and chiefly towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. Is that what your prayer life looks like? Is it void of dispute, of resist? Is it looking at God's work in your life as good? Very practical way that this has played out for me is in, is in prayer. One of my good friends, before I went on sabbatical, he, he got me this book. It was this book of, of kind of like guided prayers. And I'm not a huge like book uh, prayer guide guy, but I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And it was amazing. Because it changed my posture of how I walked into the throne room of God. Instead of coming in with my uh, desires, with my wishes, my plans held so tightly that I'm sure God says, how do you even expect me to work when you're hanging on so tight? But what I started to do was come with an open-handed posture, realizing that I was coming to the God of the universe, a God of so much power and so much might, but a God so gentle and welcoming that what actually began to happen was my heart began to shift into this more submission mindset with the Father. If you want to desire gentleness, if you want the Spirit to grow gentleness, it starts with how you approach God in prayer. That then leads us to the second part of this pattern, which is this manward focus aspect. And, and very simply, there's no better example than this, than Jesus. Have your Bibles flip over to John chapter 8. There's an amazing story that, that starts this chapter, one that many of you have probably heard, studied before, but the Pharisees bring this woman 
who was caught in adultery to Jesus. And the Pharisees tell Jesus, right, this is a plan to try to trap him. And they tell Jesus that the law of Moses commanded them to stone such a woman. And so there's this debate that, that's kind of going on. I mean, you can imagine the, the, the sounds and the words that are being said here. But, but then Jesus... And the first thing that he says here, and I love this verse, chapter 8, verse 7, as they continued to ask him. So the, the, the Pharisees, the crowd is still, they're still talking. They're still trying to get Jesus to say what they want him to say. But he stands up and he says to them, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And you can imagine the way that Jesus says this. That he, he's not loud about it. He's not coming at them with this argumentative tone. He just poses this question. And so then the, the crowd begins to drop their stones. They begin to walk away one by one. Older ones leave first, and then it's just Jesus and this woman. Now, I want you to think, before we, get to, before we get to this next verse, how would you approach her? What would you say to her? Would you use it as an opportunity to say, hey, you know, this lifestyle kind of got you here. Right, like, I, I got you out of this one, but you, you deserve where you're at. But what does Jesus say? He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. And Jesus says this, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Friends, I think there's something incredibly amazing that Jesus does here is that he stands in full authority. He stands in full power, in full strength. He stands as the one who is without sin, who could cast the stone but he treats her with such gentleness. Speaking very plainly, but without aggression. And it's through Jesus, and it's in pictures like these, that what we see is this image of perfect strength and perfect humility intersecting together. And so for you, what would gentleness look like in your life, in how you treat others? It dawned on me uh, a week or so ago that there is a difference between spiritually leading and spiritually domineering. We're called to be spiritual leaders. And to lead is setting an example. 
And to dominate is to bully. To lead is to invite people to choose to come along with you, to follow you. To dominate is to give them no other choice. Leading seeks unity. Dominating seeks control. Leading says God's the boss. Dominating says I'm the boss. Leading seeks to serve. And dominating seeks to be served. Friends, there is no greater picture of what it is to be gentle than in Jesus. Which brings me to this last point, the persona of gentleness, which is Jesus. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture is in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40. I would encourage you to, to maybe even this week, just read Isaiah 40 every day. Just meditate on it every day because what happens here is so amazing that it's designed within this book to refocus to take your focus off of everything else that's going on and to refocus it on who the Savior is, the Sovereign Lord, the God of the universe. And in its language and in its structure, it's just overwhelming because what's happening as you read through the book of Isaiah, these first 39 chapters have this message of judgment, this strong tone of warning throughout to Israel, to God's people. But then you hit chapter 40, and look how it opens up, these first five verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jerusalem in this moment needed a word of comfort. And what I love about this specific passage is that it shows us that God has comfort to give. And what I love even more is that it's not, it's not this empty kind of comfort that says, hey, there's a silver lining behind every cloud, but rather that he gives very specific reason for the Israelites to find comfort, for us to find comfort. He says that there is coming one who's going to make straight what is crooked, who's going to lower what has been raised and who's going to raise what has been lowered and make the path smooth. There is one that is coming that is going to bring you comfort. Isaiah continues in chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. He says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arms rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So verse 10, you have this picture of the God who comes with might and ruling and arming. And then verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. 
He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. You see the picture here? You see the gentleness here? Do you see the strength here? The persona of gentleness, the image of meekness is found in Jesus and friends. It's found at the cross. I'll say it very plainly. How do we know if we're allowing gentleness to grow within us, if we're allowing the spirit to work within us, if we're coming to God with more open-handed submission than closed-handed control? How do we know if we're spiritually leading or spiritually dominating? It's really found in this question, are we beginning to look more like Jesus? Jesus at times had to be forceful, even confrontational, but he did it with gentleness. He did it with love and with grace. Who is the writer of Hebrews said, for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was before Jesus? It was the redemption of God's people. It was the reconciliation of God's people that they could be in relationship with God once again. He endured the cross, despising its shame, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, but catch this part, but shed his blood for them anyway. Not desiring revenge, but desiring to bring unity. Friends, if you want to learn what gentleness really is, then listen to Jesus, who said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And friend, you will find rest for your souls.